The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Scorebox. Here are your headlines today. Berkshire Hathaway CEO Warren Buffett hits out at regulators, politicians and the media for confusing the public on the safety of U.S. banks. This despite regional lenders staging a strong rebound on Friday. The fear is contagious, always, and historically, sometimes the fear was justified and uh, sometimes it wasn't. The Dow jumps more than 500 points as Apple shares surge, with their stronger-than-expected non-farm payrolls report also driving gains. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen warns there are, quote, no good options if Congress fails to raise the debt ceiling as the Biden administration ramps up the pressure ahead of a June 1st deadline. HSBC shares hit a two-month high in Hong Kong after the lender successfully rejects a proposal to spin out its Asian business amid pressure from its largest shareholder, Ping An. And Standard Chartered CEO Bill Winters weighs in on the Fed's hiking cycle, telling CNBC the market should not underestimate the resilience of price pressures. I think the Fed will definitely pause from here. I think they have to see whether those inflation numbers really come down. Some of the age, well, I don't always remember everything I just said on the last show, but I do remember you and I right at the end of school. Well, good morning. Good morning. Looking radiant. Thank this you. time I do mean you. Thank you. Uh, you look lovely as well. How thank are you? you? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, okay. By the way, it was barbecue weather yesterday. Yes, it was. Did you do it? No. Oh, but I, I know did. you did because we've I... already talked about it. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah, I had a house full. Yeah. And it wasn't good. even a coronation party. No. Um, but um, I do remember the last conversation that you and I had on air on, on Friday, right at the tail end of Squawk Box. It was mostly me and Karen pontificating, ruminating, cogitating, trying to work out what the dream number was uh, for the market. You remember that one? Yeah. Dating, trying to work yes. out. I didn't warn you about this conversation. Uh, well, okay, and we both said, oh, well, a low number would be what the market wants to go to the it's races. Like and of course, it was 50. the absolute opposite happens. It comes in with, and, uh, do you remember I said, Goldman's have gone out liar. They've gone about 250. So Goldman's nailed it, actually. I've got to be honest. Full credit them. Because it came in at, what, 252, the number of headline jobs created, 252,000. Um, but the point being here was the market was off to the races. Now, was it off to the races because it was primed to be off to the races? Or actually were there other factors involved? And regional banks were just ready for a bounce, Apple as well. Or was it because of anything they saw in the payroll? And I'll just quickly ask you two what you think before I skedaddle over to the wall. Karen? That's a good point. I think maybe across the course of the week there have been huge concerns about a recession, what type of recession we're going to be facing. And that sort of number still gives you that sort of level of comfort that there's a cushion, that there's not going to be a hard landing because the labour market still remains strong. Yeah. Uh, I think it was about the banks. Yeah. I mean, I think Friday uh, there was an indication maybe that the market got a little bit more confident and the banking stock stabilised. And like I said, I think when we wrapped up on Friday, I thought the payrolls was important, but maybe it was yeah. a sideshow to the banks. And then Warren Buffett coming out and saying, you know, oh, the banks are fine. I think it'll be OK. You know, doing his... They're so uh, fine. I've got the biggest cash pile I've had for eight, <laughs> absolutely. two years. Yeah. I'm buying yeah. back 4. I've got, 4. I've got way more cash than I've stock. ever had, but everything's yeah. fine. Everything's yeah. relaxing about it. I think you're both no. right. I think I think that's it. And, and, and it's, it's great testimony to the fact that 
We, like the rest of the market, we don't know what the market's going to do on the back of these numbers. But the fact of the matter is, you had a blockbuster headline figure. The average hourly earnings were very strong as well. What did the HE come in at? Up 4.4% year on year, up a half a percent month on month as well. So, so, so this is the point. On another day, the market would have looked at those figures and gone, oh my goodness me, we're not going to get any rate cuts soon. Oh my goodness me, all this money we've put onto a July cut? That's still in the market. The Fed Fund's uh, futures rate indicating some form of cut potentially as early as July. I mean, incredible. And yet you have blockbuster figures. Uh, as uh, Jeff was pointing out, Buffett was saying that the underlying economy, things feel a bit different. But the fact of the matter is we are still strong. So I'm going to keep on drawing your attention to the data, even if the market decides which bits, it, which morsels it wants to ignore and which bits it doesn't. And today... I don't know what these two think, and we'll come back to them too in a bit because I've got the, the, the floor now. But the Senior Loan Officers Opinion Survey, the SLUCE, what a great acronym. That one's out as well. And if you want to see if there are tightening credit conditions in the United States, then the SLUCE, the Senior Loan Officers Opinion Survey, you can tell I didn't drink much this weekend, the fact I can remember that. Uh, that means that that's a very pivotal piece of data. And later on in the week, you've got CPI and after that, you've got PPI. So we have got some really interesting data already. I'll go backwards just again, though, just to recap. So we had a solid old rally uh, on Friday as well. But for the week, we were still down on the Dow, 1.2%, down on the S&P, 0.8%. NASDAQ was flat as a pancake after that 269-point rally on Friday. Got it out of jail. Jeff mentioned the regional bank, so so shall I do it now. Oh, my goodness me. Well, one thing that seems really apparent for this, and I will go through these numbers because they are massive. First Horizon, look at that, 8.7%, 81% for PacWest as well, Zion 19%, and 47% for uh, Western Alliance Bank. The fact of the matter is, these are not stable moves, okay? They were big moves to the upside following those big, big moves to the downside as well. They're not acting like top draw big liquid companies, are they? And that's the fact of the matter. I mean, I say liquid, I mean, in terms of trading, not making a comment on their loan book and their own liabilities and assets, what have you. But I'm just saying, you do not see these kind of moves on stocks that are well supported and well traded. It's just extraordinary. 81%? Apple, we'll also put that one as well because we did mention the figures from the previous night after the bell. Again, this was a large part of why the NASDAQ and uh, technology and growth stocks rallied. Apple was up 4.7%. It was about the iPhone again. Do you want to look at the treasuries? Well, you're going to do it. Here we go. Let's have a look at the 10-year yield at 3.43%. The two-year treasuries at 393 as well. I think there was a nod to ownership of those from Mr. Uh, Buffett and Mr. Munger as well. Asian indices have started the trading week looking like this, with the Nikkei down 179 points, the ASX 200 up 7 tenths of 1%, Shanghai Composite up 1.6% as well, and the opening calls for the European markets, because everyone in London is on holiday today, everyone in London's on holiday, apart from us lot. Uh, yes, that's right. Uh, Will in the gallery. Uh, well, he sounds like he's on holiday. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't. I just said it. It's mean. 115 points higher for the FTSE MIB. Cat Caron's up 30 points. Uh, and the Zeta Tax called up 50. In fact, Will was actually brilliant form today. I don't even know why I was so mean.
Yeah, you said the best gag that I saw this morning uh, was um, was about, about the, the labour market. Family? About the labour market in the UK. Go on. Uh, apparently, the labour market conditions are so bad that a 74-year-old man has had to take his first real job. Oh, I saw that. On the I thought that was quite funny. Well. Courtesy of Rabobank. Thank you, Rabobank, for that. No, they got it from somewhere else. Well, they took it from I, social media. I read media. that on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was good. Did you watch the uh, current? We should ask. Your queen too, just about. Oh, of king, course. King yeah. and queen. Definitely is uh, our king in Australia. Uh, we'll, for we'll long? Watch the, for long? Is there, uh, there going to be a oh vote? Gosh, who knows? Who knows? I mean, we've been there before, and I was actually at the uh, ballot box last time. There was a referendum being conducted, so uh, who knows about the next one? But very long coverage, spectacular imagery. Yeah, I, I, well I worth watch watching. It all, I, must be, I watched a lot. Oh, I sat there the whole time, right through to the balcony moment. Wow. You watch it all? Wow. No, not much. <laughs> I listened to some of it, but um, I didn't watch it all, that's for sure. I watched a large amount of it. Um, mm. I think the funniest thing is that he was apparently grumbling, and the lip readers had him in the, uh, the mm. carriage before and grumbling as he's sitting out in Westminster Road. Because, because apparently um, William and Kate and family were yeah. late getting in their car, so they couldn't get past the procession to get ahead of him. Whoa. So he was sitting there in the car while having to wait for, his, <laughs> for the children. He goes, and apparently it was long lines. Well, can't we be on time for anything? Well, that's another like great, every- great British tradition fulfilled then, isn't it? <laughs> it's uh, uh, and we had bad weather. It's hard to organise young children, let's face it. It doesn't matter what the occasion is. But, but 74-year-olds are a whippersnapper compared mm. with the two gentlemen running uh, Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, so let's get on with it. Berkshire Hathaway uh, <laughs> sold over $13 billion worth of stock in the first quarter while investing little into the U.S. equity market. The cash pile at Warren Buffett's conglomerate has risen now by $2 billion since the beginning of the year to the highest level since the end of 2021. Buffett himself told investors the company is just beginning to feel the effects of an economic slowdown, adding earnings were expected to decline in nearly all of Berkshire's businesses this year. The Oracle of Omaha also said he is more cautious about the outlook for the U.S. banking sector given current turmoil. Owning banks, events will determine their future. And you've got politicians involved. You've got, you've got a whole lot of people don't really understand how the system works. Uh, and I would say that you've had something less than a perfect communication um, between uh, uh, various people and the American public. So the American public is probably as confused about banking as ever, and that has consequences. Uh, Meanwhile, Berkshire Hathaway Vice Chairman Charlie Munger called for an easing in tensions between the U.S. and China. There's been some tension in the economic relationship of the United States and China. I think that that tension has been wrongly created on both sides. I think we're equally guilty of being stupid. If there's one thing we should do, it's get along with China. And we should have a lot of free trade with China in our mutual interest. And I just can't imagine it's just, just so obvious. There's so much safety and so much creativity that's possible. Think of what Apple has done by engaging in a partnership with China as a big supplier. Yeah. It's been good for Apple and good for China. That's the kind of business we ought to be doing with China. 
Let's take a close-up look at those labor numbers. U.S. job growth beat expectations in the month of April, with non-farm payrolls rising by 253,000 versus a Dow Jones estimate of 180,000. The unemployment rate came in at 3.4%. That was the lowest level since 1969. Average hourly earnings increased by 0.5%, the biggest increase in a year. Let's get to Cole Smead, CEO at Smead Capital Management. Cole, we're just debating why the market went up on this number the big data point we've been watching for. I was arguing perhaps it was around a recession a prospect that many have been concerned about. It feels like there's real tension between those looking for some upside but those concerned that perhaps valuations are still too expensive if we are going into recession. What did you make of the market reaction we saw Friday? Uh, well, I, I think people are stretching on numerous fronts. And I say that because um, to your point, it, uh, the strength of the economy via the jobs number would argue that the Fed is going to stay pat for a very long time. And the market rallying on the back of that makes it look like all these equity and stock jockeys out there are suddenly bond savants trying to figure out how soon the Fed's going to cut. So uh, to your point, Karen, I, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, it looks like there's a lot of damage that's going to come on the backside of the Fed's tight uh, uh, setup. But the question is, is the Fed more interested in stability or inflation? And that's really the chicken's game that they have to go run down and play. And the question is, which one will they choose? So we pick up on the stability question. We certainly saw a bounce back in those regional banks, but it was a punishing week, even in the major banks, where we've seen an element of stability yeah. deposits just flowing into that area of the banking sector. What do you make of the wash up? You know, we had a First Republic moment that was meant to stabilise the market. It simply hasn't. Are we getting to the point where there's any more stability coming back into the system with time? To your point, what's going on in the banks, it really comes down to the fact that um, it was the it was the rapid pace of increases. In other words, if this happened over four years, these banks wouldn't have these issues, but it's the quick rise. And that's what causes the hole on the balance sheet, the capital problem. Um, and so you got to remember, they were buying the safest thing in the world, quote unquote, which was obviously, you know, long term treasuries, because um, that's where the yield was. So I, I think it highlights to investors that you could buy the safest thing in the world and do the dumbest things with it. And that's kind of where we are right now. The question is, what should people be doing with their money? And the banks have exposed the fact that they're not doing very good things themselves. Therefore, it's probably unlikely that individual investors are doing the same. Now, let me add one more thing to your comments on Berkshire. Buffett talked about the Bank Holding Act of 1969. And that's why Berkshire Hathaway does not own banks like they did prior to 1969. Because if they were not bought, say, Western Alliance Bank and owned the whole thing right now, um, the problem with that is they would be subject to Bank Holding Act regulations, and they don't want to do that. So the idea that Berkshire not participating in those markets means they're unattractive. No, it just means they don't want the regulatory problems that, that comes with it. That doesn't stop them from owning their Bank America, JP Morgan, which are not subject to bank holding regulations because of their ownership level. So I think, you know, people have to really parse out what's good for Berkshire versus what they should be doing as investors. And the smaller you are, the easier it is. If you're big like Berkshire, you guys pointing on the big cash board. It just sucks to be them because you can't buy interesting things out there in this disheveled market. Yeah, Cole, as should also be noted, you know, company that owns a big stake in a Chinese electric vehicle manufacturer doesn't think it's a great idea that China and the US have a trade war. So to your point, you need to dig a little bit deeper to understand why the Berkshire Hathaway folk are saying what, what they're saying. But let, let me come back to you on the banks, because um, we obviously had a, a big rally on Friday across many of these regional banks, and the, the bounce was just 
incredible when you look at some of the percentage moves there. Can we assume that now we've got stabilization in deposit movement? And, and two, do you think the loan report from uh, the loan officers today is going to show us that loan growth is still positive? Well, if you, if you look at the, what's been coming out, you know, everything's been tightening and the banking environment having a tough go is going to cause things to be even tighter. So I would expect that on the margin, they're going to come out looking more negative than they would otherwise. Um, but that being said, you know, housing hasn't fallen apart. Just think of our discussions over the last year to two years where, you know, rate, rates rise from the Fed and then you break something. Well, this is the most incredible American economy where even if people get negative, the jobs market continues to outpunch what their expectations are. So the, the Fed's biggest problem is, is how strong this is. Um, now, one other thing that I, I would point out, if you look back at the 2010s, we wondered why the economy wasn't stronger while the Fed kept rates low. Now with, with a tight Fed uh, funds rate, um, the economy is not being touched. A better question might be to ask, does the Fed have much control over the economy at all, for better or for worse? And I really don't think they do. Now, what they do have a lot of control over is asset prices. And we have seen those affected. That hurts wealthy people. But Joe and Jane Sixpack making fifty dollars to $70,000 a year in America, they wake up, they drink coffee, and they go to work, and the Fed isn't a conversation for them. Uh, to pick up on that, let, let's focus on how to make money here. When, when we saw you back in March, you talked about buying JP. You talked about some of the larger banks as being interesting. You also talked a lot about yeah. UBS and Credit Suisse because that was the eye of the storm then. And, and you yeah. thought European banks looked attractive. How do you feel about the banking sector now and owning financials from here on in? Yeah, and I'll use the Berkshire meeting to touch on that. So Buffett talked a lot about the return on equity of the businesses he had historically owned in banking. So, I mean, you wake up in a world right now uh, where you can buy banks at book value or less. The question is, what are they going to earn on their capital? And in this world where stock returns are going to be probably pretty poor, just think of how interesting it is where you wake up and, you know, European financials are out way out punching their U.S. counterparts to start the year. And at the same time, there is just death and misery out in U.S. banks. So, you know, if you're a stock picker like us, that's a dream scenario. And, you know, think of all the problems that people felt on that day. We talked about UBS and Credit Suisse, and we found out pretty quickly that the worst wasn't in for UBS um, to go out and buy that. So I, I just think it shows a lot of opportunity. Remember, here's, the, here's the, the, the bond market healing quite a bit from what we've seen in the last six to 12 months. Don't be worried about what's getting punished. Be worried about what hasn't. Look at you know the tech space. Look at commercial real estate. The places that really haven't taken the brunt, that's where there's a lot of danger right now. What's been hurt, you should be way less worried because that's more in the price of securities. Yeah, but Cole, the great news for you is you don't even have to pay anywhere near book value for these European banks. You can enter the biggest value trap of all time at 0 0.3, 0 0.4, 0.5 price to book as well. Are you really piling into the European banks at those levels? You could buy Unicredit at four tenths or three tenths of book last summer and wake up at six or seven tenths of book and no one thinks it'll ever get back to book. I mean, this is just too good, to be honest, Steve. So I love it. I mean, watching, watching Orchell go out and buy his stock you know, below book like this while no one's optimistic and they're kind of wondering out from the outside what's going on. It's a dream scenario. By the way, European banks did this long before the ECB. This happened in the late 1980s, early 1990s in various European banks. There was no ECB at the time. This is just the first time it's ever happened with the ECB as an institution. So I find it remarkable. I find it interesting. I find it like a good place to make money. And I find people staring from the outside watching. And 
and I would tell them the water's warm. Come and enjoy the fun. Yeah, well, pe- people who have a position tend to tell everyone else it's a good position and come and join us. But, 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 but the point is, uh, Cole, is there a sneaky suspicion that one might have that the book value isn't quite accurate, so hence the price book to book isn't quite as uh, appetising? I mean, you just mentioned all the problems that are out there in commercial real estate that are unrealised as yeah. well, uh, and the problems that are out there potentially in some of these models of uh, the growth stocks, which the banks uh, have looks like have been exposed to, certainly stateside as well. Doesn't, doesn't it get you slightly? worried that perhaps just perhaps the book value isn't quite what it seems that's a good question you have to remember that in the united states we tend to have more fixed product out there versus europe tends to be a variable product market so when rates go higher the product moves with it typically on a 12-month adjustment so that's a huge benefit and hedge to higher rate environments for european loans relative to u.s loans i mean we don't have we have 30-year fixed mortgages. When they fix, they stay for 30 years like that. You can't get it off your back book um, versus, you know, if you have something adjusting based on a 12-month rate, your back book is always adjusting based on that. So I think that's just a completely different phenomenon because it changes how you have to look at the balance sheet and the capital structure. When, when First Republic is handing out a 3% mortgage to a wealthy family, um, that's never going to go away on a 30-year fix. They're doing that interest only. It's even, it's even dumber. And that's the kind of stuff that went on on occasion in the last uh, 12 to 24 months. And it's just tougher to find that in Europe. There was a lot more stupid things going on in the US markets because we were the center of the mania of what happened the last two or three years. We had the tech stocks, Europe didn't. So we did dumber things with capital because Europe didn't have the same mania. Cole, always nice to catch up. Thanks so much for, for joining us this morning. Good to see you again, and we'll catch up soon, I know. Cole Smead, CEO of Smead Capital Management. Um, for more on the highlights from Berkshire's AGM in Omaha, check out cnbc.com. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen warning of impending, quote, economic chaos if Congress fails to raise the debt ceiling. In an interview with ABC, Yellen said the U.S. Treasury Department is already using extraordinary measures to support the economy and avoid a default. Her warning comes as lawmakers try to find a compromise on either lifting or suspending debt obligations. And our U.S. colleagues will speak to the Treasury Secretary later today, so don't miss that interview at 2200 CET. Coming up on the show, Germany unveils an expensive energy subsidy plan that is set to cause friction in Olaf Scholz's coalition. We'll have the details next. And for more on the U.S. jobs data, as well as the latest from the Berkshire Hathaway Annual General Meeting, no less, check out the... uh, Well, I think it's well established. It's probably the best business podcast that we've produced this week. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com.
take a look at shares in Foxconn, which are trading lower in Taiwan after the world's largest contract electronics maker and major iPhone assembler saw revenue fall in April. Emily filed this report. Hanhai Precision posted April sales of $14.07 billion, up 7% against March, but down 11% from a year ago. On an annual basis, its four major product divisions saw a decline in sales. Computing was down on weaker demand for PCs. Smart consumer electronics also seeing slower demand. Cloud and networking benefited from an increase in AI applications, but buyers slowed down their pace on building inventories. For the first four months of the year, sales were flat on year to 61 $1.7 billion. The world's largest contract manufacturer of electronics remains cautious on the current quarter, warning that Q2 results could fall short of last year's numbers. We'll hear from them on Friday at an investor conference to deliver Q1 results and Q2 guidance. I'm Emily Tan in Hong Kong. Back to you. Uh, the German government has unveiled plans to subsidize 80% of the cost of electricity for energy intensive companies. That is extraordinary, isn't it? Uh, the plan published by the economy minister, Robert Harbeck, is expected to cost between 25 and 30 billion euros. Annetta has... Annetta, this is absolutely fascinating. Good morning to you. Uh, I wonder how uh, the, German, um, the German initiative is going down elsewhere in Europe with con countries that haven't got 30 billion euros to spare. It's probably not going down too well. I mean, normally, if you do these subsidies in Europe, you need to pull from Brussels, and that is probably what is, has to happen because it would be against the rules uh, not to have uh, an approval from Brussels. Um, so it's against uh, competition law, I would say, to have that huge subsidies for the German industry. If so, we probably would have to go down the road of a European-wide subsidy. So what's on offer, what's the proposal is to cut uh, energy costs for energy-intensive companies such as the chemical ones. Both the car makers do account for that. And of course, that move is welcomed by the industry. The chemical industry is applauding that proposal from the, the German economy ministry. So currently, the, the industry pays roughly 25 cents per kilowatt hour. That um, gives you an, an idea about the dimension of the potential reduction if um, energy or electricity would have to be reduced to six cents per kilowatt hour. So that would yeah, alleviate a lot of the pressure from the high energy prices um, from the industry. So the case from the economy ministry is quite um, yeah, easy to understand. So the U.S., for example, has a lot of subsidies and also China, uh, U.S., of course, especially with the Inflation Reduction Act. And companies do move their production facilities over to the United States. We have seen a recent move from uh, Volkswagen with their decision to build a battery factory in, in Canada, which, of course, also accounts for the NAFTA region and thus is eligible for subsidies from the Inflation Reduction Act. There's a lot of fear that Germany could actually be industrialized. We have been talking about that as well. So, but having said that, it's just a proposal and uh, there's a lot of um, headwinds already coming from German finance ministry because they're clearly saying, so we're shutting down nuclear energy, we're shutting down everything and then we need to subsidize um, the uh, electricity market because prices too high, that can't be the way going forward. So there is still that 200 billion protective shield or stability fund or whatever you want to call it uh, in English coming or stemming from uh, the 
direct aftermath of the Ukraine war or the, the, the start of the war, which has 200 billion euro um, at hand. And here, the economy ministry wants to tap into, um, and the plan is probably worth some 25 to 30 billion euro. But again, it's just a plan. It probably needs approval from Brussels. And there's a lot of resistance already coming from the other parties of the German coalition here on the ground. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.